record that that beautiful massive belch of yours right now. Well, I'll, I'm sure we'll get another one before the end of the show. So like, it's not. <laughs> we can only hope. Yeah. yeah, you know. I need something for the spank bank. I... <laughs> yeah, it's classy. It's Here to make Paul uncomfortable. I've heard we've been in quarantine long enough. I've heard so much worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. I've seen worse, so you know. <laughs> yeah, I hear, I hear you've been dancing a lot, Paul. Oh yeah. my god! Yeah, I'm always dancing. Always, always. like legit, always. Doesn't matter what pants he's wearing. Yeah. Doesn't even think about it. To be perfectly honest, obviously. <laughs> Why would I think about it? Why would I care? I don't care. I don't know. I'm just dancing. Is there, is there some flopping? Is that what you're implying, Mark? <laughs> I've seen some shit swinging around that I was not happy seeing that I saw swinging around. Let's just oh. put it that way. <laughs> yeah i guess I don't know. uh welcome back to dance robot dance everybody uh, i finally got us through me clicking record and hitting you know starting the episode without them climbing up so victory for quarantine number one for this week i guess <laughs> bodes well it is it's episode 190 i'm gonna say four, four. i put in the thing eh, we'll see what happens i'm here with my brother paul hi everybody yeah. <laughs> he's like up down the hall it's it's a weird experience all of a sudden yeah and then uh tim tim's still in atlanta i was writing i wrote in my notes tim who is somewhere now we're not yeah. sure <laughs> still in atlanta uh this is my last weekend we move we we move out in like three days and next week i'll be in a hotel and after that i'll be in canada somewhere quarantining exciting times mm. it's the next time you hear me it may be from my federally mandated quarantine <laughs> That's, I mean, it's for the best, really, because the little snowbirds oh, yeah. have decided that they don't want to do that. So, you know, God damn it. behave yourself yeah. when you get up here and don't act like your country, your current country is acting <sighs> in general. And we'll be fine. Either way, let's do some newsy things because there's news possibly i feel like the news now just boils down to like there's people reading shit on youtube go watch them read shit on youtube so and some people died i mean we're not i'm not doing deaths like if we do deaths at the beginning of every episode from now so that when this ends this is just going to be the death march of a podcast and i I can't handle that mental space so i'm sure if somebody like insanely giant like when when boris johnson kicks it then we'll talk about (laughs) it but he's out of the hospital apparently now Still in the hospital, out of ICU. Okay, I just read right. the, I just read the headlines just like five minutes because there was no yeah, fucking yeah. news in our world. So I was looking at news in general to talk about, and I was like, I'm not talking about virus stuff because that's all anybody's talking about, and that's not what we're here for. Because if we do that, I'm going to go crazy too, or crazier. <laughs> Either way, so I guess we'll just I'll just go through these because these were the ones that kind of like like talked to my little nerd heart. But um, Lavar Burton who has been doing Reading Rainbow online for the last couple of weeks and is probably going to continue to do that, also got permission from Neil Gaiman to read all of his books into, I think, YouTube. I'm not sure exactly where it's happening, but he does have the permission to read all of them and is doing so. So, like, LeVar Burton, chief engineer of our hearts, is reading Neil Gaiman books. Go listen to him do that because he is awesome. Yeah, and then, like, as an extension of that, I think Neil Gaiman, like, basically a teacher, asked if she could do that for her students as well. And I yeah. think Gaiman, like, gave, like, blanket permission for anybody to, like, read his books to kids on the internet kind of thing. Not that you should be reading all of his kids. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, some of them are... <laughs> some <laughs> Pick of them appropriately. Yeah. Pick appropriately, teachers. Maybe, I think. maybe not American Gods. Yeah, avoid that one, perhaps. <laughs> Actually, no... You should read American Gods to your kids and to put the proper fear of the world into them at this point. So. Yeah. 
It's a good book, though. Good yeah. book. I mean, even his children's stuff is enough to, like, put you off living. I mean, Coraline is, like, creepy as shit, even as yeah. like, an adult yeah. reading it. Even as a hey. kid's career. Neil Gaiman, man. I don't know. But, like, as adults, if you want to read, have LeVar Burton read to you, and who wouldn't? Why would you not want that? And he's reading awesome Neil Gaiman stories, so go for that. Mm-hmm. Um, also, if you follow Patrick Stewart on Instagram, he is doing daily sonnet readings, like Shakespeare sonnets. Some of them, obviously, these range in length from like half a minute to fucking 10 minutes long, depending on the day he and how saucy the captain is feeling. And I still <laughs> am going to refer to him as the captain because I don't have a choice in that matter so but he's doing that and that's pretty cool but the one that actually caught my eye that i saw today uh that's super cool is dc is putting out a new continuation to the batman animated series in comic book form they're going back to that batman adventures book but what was really cool was that kevin conroy is on instagram on dc comics instagram reading the issues out loud to people so that's that's one of the ones they've decided to go digital first on through all of this so there's they are actually releasing that uh, that book, and uh, so they're having him read the issues sort of as they're released, which which is, is which is he pretty did the cool. Voice of that Batman and everything. So yeah. well, exactly. I mean, considering he's basically the Batman that I'm going to assume we all hear when we read Batman, like that's the voice I hear in my head when I read Batman comics. Mm-hmm. Even to this day, I still hear that voice. So uh, may as well have the guy who actually has that voice read you Batman Adventures comics because I can't shit in the mouth of those Batman Adventures books. There was a while where the Adventures books were arguably the best Batman and Superman titles available like because they were based on the cartoon. They were written by staff members from those shows. Mm. So they just felt like extensions of that universe, very like even more so than usual tie-in books would. And they were super high quality. So I'm hoping this new Batman Adventures book retains that. Because there was a while where that Superman Adventures book was the best Superman books on the stands. Probably for a couple years when it was, like, really good. So, mm-hmm. but it was, because yeah, it's all fun, like, one-shot Superman uh, yeah. adventures. Or, like, it was, two issues. It was really, like, classic retro kind of Superman yeah. stuff. Yeah, which was re- basically what I want from Superman these days, I guess. So, <laughs> that also had, like, some really good, like, early Mark Millar stuff before he went insane and started doing, like, authority stuff. He did, he wrote excellent Superman stories in that book, which... Saying good, wholesome Superman stories coming out of Mark Millar is kind of a weird antithetical situation, but it is true that some of those, his books were excellent. He does have a good grasp of Superman, I guess. So there is that. I mean, like, what else is there that, that happened this week? They, Sony announced the PlayStation 5 controller, or, like, put pictures of it online, and, like, for two days, Twitter fucking melted down. <laughs> so that's where we're at with news at this point, and it's like... <laughs> I mean, the controller's ugly, but I mean, other than that, it looks like a controller. It looks like an Xbox controller with, like, shinier PlayStation stuff on it, I guess. And it's white and black. It looks like a Stormtrooper or um, the Bjork robots from All is Full of Love or... plug suits from neon Evangel- neon genesis evangelion a lot of like twitter went insane doing the comparison thing like the side by sides and it was fun it was fun to watch i can't judge a controller till like, i'm holding it in my hands exactly. right so yeah. like i don't I care that. what it looks like gotta know what it feels like in the in the hands so gotta have that tactile experience otherwise like who knows who yep. knows and in what may be the last big video game release during all this craziness, unless Sony gets the shit together and actually puts Last of Us 2 out like they said they were going to, uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake, the first part of it anyway, shockingly, finally released to stores this week. 
nobody here has played it yet. Although Paul's played uh, the it's demo. It's coming out so. tomorrow. It's not, it's not out yet. It's coming out tomorrow. By the time they hear this and I edit it, yes, it will be out there for them to think. But you played the demo. Talk about the demo. The demo was very true to the feel of the original PlayStation 1 game in terms of atmosphere. And it was like a really pretty kind of shot-for-shot remake of what that was. And the battle system's like a more menu-based Kingdom Hearts kind of vibe. I'm interested to see what it's going to be like when you have more characters to control at the same time. But Because you in the demo, you only get to play as Cloud and Barret, and you get to blow up the classic Scorpion robot boss, Magitek armor thingy. It seems interesting. I'm not going to pay full price for the release, because I have been burned before, as I've mentioned on this podcast by <laughs> Final Fantasy XV, and I will n- I will not be repeating that mistake again. So I'll hold off until there's a sale, probably. But yeah. I am intrigued, and the, so far, from what I've read, the reviews are quite good. So. Yeah, the reviews have been pretty good. That's what I was kind of picking up for the most part this week. So I'm like, oh, that's cool. Considering that was like everybody kind of groaned when that was announced, and like nobody seemed. I don't remember anybody seemed excited about it. It was just kind of like, oh, the I Final guess it's Fantasy happening. Seven fans were really excited about it. Yeah. People were just that's why Square Enix decided to put their all their eggs in this particular basket. Like they for a while they were they had their hands in a lot of different Final Fantasy pies, and then eventually they kind of consolidated after the tragic misfire that was the final fantasy 13 three games at once concept that turned into 13 and 15 (laughs) and then and then they decided fuck it we're just going to re-release old games that people we know people like and do mobile games and there you go so that's where we're at now good so they're they're slowly but surely following konami down the path to pachinko machines and oblivion oh yeah Good times. I mean, at least they've still got Tomb Raider and like Crystal Dynamics making those games on this side of the pond. So Final Fantasy will make the money until the end of fucking time. Like yeah, no right. matter probably, what form that's wrong. in. Like if they re-release Final Fantasies, the original PS One Final Fantasy Seven, if that gets re-released on any console, someone's gonna buy it. So they've got they've got cash cows and cash cows and cash cows to milk for the rest of fucking gaming time. Ugh. Sounds awful. Anyway, that's all the news I had for this week. Obviously, we are in quarantine and everybody's locked down now. So it is starting to get to be slim pickings in terms of entertainment news. Um, unless anybody else has anything they want to talk about. <laughs> that fucking Queeby streaming service came out. No. Nope. Yeah. And nope. like crashed fucking hard. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that, uh, there was yeah. one show on there that I wanted to watch, which was uh, uh, Sasha Valour's Nightgowns, which is like uh, she was the winner of Drag Race Season 9, and she does a Brooklyn-based drag show, which is actually really cool and really like if you get to see the videos for them on YouTube, which you can already do, you don't need Quibi for it, <laughs> you can do that. But if you like to see good drag, uh, Sasha Valour's Nightgowns is definitely a show I would have liked to have seen in Brooklyn at some point in the, when people still went places so yeah <laughs> see the thing is like it they, it's got top fucking talent on this service like there's all kinds of amazing people that are making stuff for this service it's just that like it's so fucking gimmicky like the whole gimmick behind it is like oh it's little 10 minute episodes and they have this turn style with a y feature where like if your whole like 
if you're holding your phone portrait, it will show you a different view of the scene than if you're holding your phone uh, landscape and fuck all that noise. Why is it phone only? I don't understand. Apparently it works on iPads, but no other tablets, only iPads. Yeah. Fuck that shit. It's just so fucking gimmicky and fuck Jeffrey Katzenberg for dropping like two billion on it and instead of like doing something productive with that money. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, I've never even heard of this and I'm looking at it now and it looks so fucking dumb yeah. that I'm I don't even want to talk about it anymore. So that's good. It's it's the fucking what, what was that music streaming service that uh Tile. Yeah, it's the title. Yeah, it's the title of fucking streaming video, basically. It's just, but it, it's it's. They're, what are they? Eight minutes long? What are these vines? What is it? Remember vines? <laughs> I think WWE fucking or whatever it was. Yeah, this is like TikTok shit. Yeah, just fucking use Twitter like the rest of the world. You fucking idiots. I don't <sighs> mind the idea of or YouTube, shorter I guess. content. Yeah, just use YouTube. Because these are supposed to be 10-minute episodes, and for something like a drag show, that's kind of perfect. That's like three lip-sync numbers or something like that. Sure, whatever. I get it. Like Put it on YouTube that has built-in payment structure, too, where you buy the episodes and shit, right? Yeah. Like, you're not yeah. bought, like, building a whole new platform. A whole new service. For yeah. Jeffrey Katzenberg to jerk himself off over, I guess. Like. <laughs> Oh, man, I wish I was a billionaire so that I could just do dumb fucking stupid shit and everybody just complain about it and I don't care because I'm still a fucking billionaire at the end of it. So who fucking cares what the Pulpians think, you know? Oh. And then uh, I know Mark has kind of written off Titans, but I still pay oh, for yeah. DC Universe. And uh, so we'll probably continue watching it. Uh, Barbara Gordon is apparently going to be in season three of Titans. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry to everybody who likes Barbara Gordon <laughs> for whatever the shit show of a fucking representation that's going to be of her. Because yeah. that show went off the goddamn rails <laughs> at the end of the second season. Maybe she'll fuck Batman again. <laughs> They haven't said whether it's going to be Batgirl or Oracle or something completely entirely different. But why not just show her getting brutalized by the Joker on screen? Because that's basically what that show is. It's just like, hey, you know all the things you thought might happen in comics that are hyper violent. We're going to show it to you this time because yeah, that's just what the right show is. First season. Yeah, yeah, and then it ground itself into a fucking fine powder in the second season, so... <laughs> yeah, uh, and then there was one death that I'm just going to have to mention because uh, I have a lot of fond memories of some of his music. Uh, John Preen, the American uh, like singer-songwriter, passed away from complications due to coronavirus, and I definitely felt that one a bit because like, a few of his songs... He was an art artist that my dad definitely listened to a lot while I was growing up, and it was the sort of thing where I just like imprinted on my fucking psyche and then like later in life i started hearing those songs being like why do i remember that so vividly why do i know all of these words and would eventually start a piecing together like okay these are all john preen songs and my dad played the shit out of them growing up and so mm-hmm. yeah. hello in there is a fucking amazing song yeah the one that I, that i have the fondest memories of is uh, that's the way the world goes around oh yeah so it's just gonna yeah. keep claiming more and more people so let's hope that we go yeah. through a week without any major deaths and catastrophes no Hopefully. it's okay it's just a 5g hoax yeah anyways so it's <sighs> collective sigh <laughs> and moving on <laughs> so that's geek of the week time boys geek of the week geek of the week so this is the segment where we tell each other the nerdiest thing we did in isolation this week so let's start <laughs> with paul 
So we can talk about Final Fantasy XIV. No. <laughs> there, okay. Even though I did do a lot of that, I started my Korean classes this week. Um, so it's academic geekery and nerdery. I am planning on moving back to Korea as soon as they'll let me. <laughs> do you hear that, <laughs> listeners? We just got him back to this side of the pond. Now we're going to have to go back to fucking scheduling shitty hours to record the podcast again. I mean, I was hurt the most by having to do it at like 8 o'clock in the morning on Saturday, but whatever, it's fine. It's you fine. like that shit. You're up to those stupid hours anyways. I would rather be watching cartoons at that point. But, <laughs> you know, but yeah, so I've, I got to use Zoom for the first time, and I don't understand what the big fucking deal is with that program. It is not any better than any other video platform at all. But It's new, and people are stupid. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah it's easy to use, basically, and... I think accessibility is the main thing. Yeah, well, it's you can fine. Do it in a browser. I uh, I got a two hour session in with my uh, tutor and got to polish what little Korean I have. And apparently, you've forgotten vocabulary. English in the process. Uh, apparently, it's not been a good day for <laughs> verbal communication. Period. <laughs> That we're losing sense. our words, folks. This is what's <laughs> happening is we're not interacting with other humans. It's the only reason we're doing the podcast at this point is so we can fucking keep some semblance of social communication. <laughs> yeah, it's basically Mark and I like yelling at each other about stuff. And then we add Tim for the podcast time for a third heat <laughs> once a week. And just to mix things up. And then it's back to the two of us just feeding off of each other's insanity. So <laughs> that's where we're at right now. But yeah, so learning new languages is a productive thing that I'm trying to do during this pandemic time. And I didn't want to talk about Final Fantasy 14 again. So this that's what I'm going with. <laughs> yep. 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 Green class. Good times. Tim, what about you? I got all caught up on the DCCW shows and enough so that I could watch Crisis on Infinite Earths. And I liked it. It was definitely a nice distraction from everything that's going on. It was, I mean, it's what these crossovers always are. It's a big, big fucking romp with like a bunch of just gratuitous cameos and shit like that. And uh, I mean, some of them are pretty major. Like we, you know, we were already talking about Kevin Conroy. Like he played a big part in, in one of those episodes with, uh, in the Batwoman episode, you know, as sort of like the kingdom come Batman with uh, all his fucking bones broken and only can only walk with a suit and shit like that. And yeah, I thought it was pretty fun. I, I was I was happy with it overall. I was happy with sort of how they adapted it to be as close, I think, to the comic story as they could, given you know the conditions that are already set forth in that universe and stuff. So yeah, seeing Brandon Routh in the Superman costume was the big oh, point yeah. for me. Was really good for me. Uh, I yeah, like that as, as Kingdom Come Superman. That was yeah. that was really awesome. And yeah, having him sort of take that you know superman who's lost everything role is is pretty it was it was a good take i liked it yep there's another shot at the throne i think i mean Mm -hmm. at this point everybody who's played superman i'm like happy with and would gladly see them do it again brandon roth and henry cavill yeah included so it's kind of just like i really wish dc would just you know make a good superman thing with one of these guys because they've got so, like 14 yeah. people who are awesome to play Superman and they're just like, yeah, we don't know how to do this. We don't know what to do. Like, well, that's why you call Paul Dini and Bruce Tim and see if they'll just like do something together or something. 
because yeah. they seem to know how to do it properly. Anyway, yeah. and and spoiler alert, like I liked I liked how they sort of closed things off as well. Like I mean, it came out like three months ago now. Uh, yeah, but, I was gonna say um, spoiler alert. This shit, I yeah. watched this stuff like three <laughs> months ago. So, but like I liked that they gave Ollie the Spectre role for a little bit. I thought that was pretty cool and a, and a decent way to send him off. Although they killed him twice in the same fucking crossover. Yep. And then I like that they collapsed all of the worlds together into one. So it, it is like, you know, which is exactly what happened in the comics. And now it's going to have like serious lasting impacts for at least those series of shows. Like basically, you know, Batwoman, Supergirl, Flash, Arrow's gone now, but like Legends of Tomorrow and uh, did I say Batwoman? Yeah, Batman, uh, no, uh, uh, no, Black, Black Lightning. Lightning are all yeah. are all taking place in the same universe, which is cool. Yes, his uh, scenes were interesting because like he's never really interfaced with other people, so that was kind of like I, yeah, I mean, that show has such a different tone. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's the yeah. thing. Like that show's so different from those other shows that uh, I'm curious to see how they're gonna tie him yeah. into yeah. stuff. Oh, and I was so happy that they gave Marf Woman like a big old meaty Stan Lee cameo. Yes, yeah, that was pretty cool. <laughs> Marvel being being the writer of the original Christ on Infinite Earth series for yeah. our listeners that might not know. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Okay, so is that, are we good? Are we good? Yeah. What are we doing? Yeah. All right. So my geek of the week, Lord help me, I watch WrestleMania and... Uh, <laughs> in an empty fucking arena I, and it was super i was that was part of the reason why i watched it because i was not just i wouldn't have been right? just out of curiosity to see how they were gonna pull it off and it was i mean i'm kind of done with wwe at this point like i'm never <laughs> going back unless the rock comes back again in which case i might you know poke my fucking big toe in just because it's the rock but any everybody else that i like works for AEW now and anybody who's working for wwe that i like i'm like i can wait till they leave to see them again because <laughs> I don't need to watch this stuff anymore. I'm like, I mean, I tried to put Paul in front of one of the matches this week, which was like the fun f- fucking Firefly Funhouse. It's not even a match. It's, it was like a bad YouTube clip show. So I'm like, I don't know what wrestling is anymore. It has nothing to do with the ring. So this doesn't even really track as wrestling to me, but okay. I'm just old. I'm old. There's there's that, first of all. And cause I know people liked it, but... It was <sighs> like... He made they me wanted- watch... Three you watch minutes. 30 seconds, like, like yeah, you watch about two minutes of a 10 to 12 minute quote unquote match, and it was baffling. It was it was more than I needed to know that I never needed to see that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it, was, it was it was bizarre and it wasn't very well. Ma- it was cringy. For yeah, the most it's pretty part. bad. Yeah, like it felt I, like I know that the WWE is probably trying its best to do things, but the kind of slapdash improv nature of professional wrestling doesn't work when you know you have staged things it just there's an incongruity there that just doesn't work and yes. it fe- it felt like i was watching really really bad youtube it was yeah. really bad it was pretty bad all around so i to the point where like i was watching my show like the AEW show that has been that i've been watching the last little while and after wrestle after two nights of wrestlemania and I'm possibly being hyperbolic, but I did not have a great time watching most of it. So there's that. I watched like two hours of AEW this week. And the only thing that made the difference was Chris Jericho on fucking commentary, who's just the greatest of all goddamn time and can entertain me even when there's four people like in the entire arena. And he's just him yelling at the guy in the ring, telling him how bad he sucks. <laughs> and the guy in the ring can hear him 
even though he's on commentary and really can't say anything to him because he's like, yeah, what am I going to say? No, Chris Jericho, the greatest wrestler of all time. <laughs> you fucking suck. No, it doesn't work, guys. So at the very least, AEW still entertaining. But yeah, WrestleMania, that was a that was a that was an excursion for me that I'm not repeating ever again, at least not without a lot more alcohol in my system, because <laughs> anyway. What else did I do? Oh, I, I wrote, I wrote, I wrote, I finished a Sailor Moon poster in here. I don't know why I put that in there, but all right, cool. All right. Meat of the episode time. Meat of the episode. Psychological bat meat. There it is. All right. So we're continuing to do Batman movies this week, and it's now time to get into like the main thrust of Batman movies that everybody knows and loves. We all watched the 1989 Batman movie. Uh, you know, the Tim Burton one starring Michael Keaton, Paul Sneeze, Jack Nicholson, <laughs> Kim Basinger, fucking Jack Palance, Billy D. Williams. Yeah. A whole bunch of other people, I'm sure, in this that are going to be would be annoyed that I completely forgot about them. But really, it's Michael Keaton and Kim Basinger and Jack Nicholson in this movie. And a lot of Jack Nicholson. <laughs> like a lot of Jack, a lot of Jack Nicholson. Uh, yeah. So we are watching the Batman movies and this is kind of the first one. So your history with the Batman movie boys, like the 1989 one, the one that kind of started it all for this guy. Like that's why we're here doing this nerd shit because I saw this movie when I was eight years old. So this is kind of the one that when I go back to it, I'm like, I can't hate this movie, but I kind of hate this movie. So <laughs> Tim, <sighs> This is one that's hard for me to pin down when I first was exposed to it, because it's just one that I feel like has kind of always been there. I don't think I would have seen it in theaters, uh, but like it's one that was on TV like all the fucking time, right? Like it was one of those like Sunday afternoon movies, so I probably saw it at some point there. And yeah, I I also have a bit of a mixed relationship, like uh, you know, bit of a you know, I keep coming back for more, and it keeps hurting me kind yeah. of relationship with this movie. But it, overall, it works for me. I think. Fair enough. Yeah. Paul, you had a uh, we watched it together, and you had quite the uh, mystified look on your face through most of the movie. So I'm. <laughs> I have not seen this movie for a very long time. Like it's probably since maybe my high school years or even middle school maybe since I've seen this movie. It's not something that I ever would think to re-watch because I watched it so often when I was a kid. I remember seeing, it must have been a Batman double feature when they were showing Batman Returns at the drive-in. I remember seeing this movie. I also remember the Diet Coke commercial that used to play uh, Mm -hmm. on the VHS before this movie started. Very, very fondly and very very distinctly so my history with this movie is very just rooted in childhood memories the scenes that i very distinctly remember are like the party man sequence in the (laughs) museum and kim basinger getting driven to the bat cave in the batmobile like i've that scene just always stuck in my brain but it wasn't until I saw this movie again where I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this movie front to back. It is like part of my movie DNA because I watched it so much when I was a kid. Cool. All right. So I, I, we saw this in at a drive-in, of all things, when we were kids. And so like I've been obsessed with this movie ever since. I've seen this movie a hundred times. And, I yeah, I, I have this weird 
thing where like, well, I grew up and it was like the bee's knees and this was kind of, this was Batman to me for a long time. But as I became more of a Batman connoisseur, I, every time I went back to this movie, I was like, wow, this is less and less what I remember it being and more and more a Tim Burton movie where he clearly doesn't understand the source material. <laughs> it's kind of frustrating to me. But the first thing I really want to do, and I love doing this to the voice, is can one of you guys explain to me what the plot of this fucking monster is? <laughs> uh, my, my turn. Paul normally does these. Yeah. So Batman's already a thing. He's kicking around Gotham. But he's kind of like mythical. Like the criminals don't know that he's a real thing yet. And Vicky Vale, this investigative reporter, along with this other useless guy that nobody wants to see on screen are trying to investigate him. And uh, at the same time, there's this gangster, Jack Napier, this like mid-level gangster is trying to make his way up for the ranks. He's too ambitious. And so his boss tries to off him and Batman basically has an altercation with him at a chemical plant and falls into the, like a vat of acid and everybody assumes he's dead. But in fact, he gets his skin all bleached and goes crazy and has plastic surgery that, makes him look like the Joker because his face got damaged by a exploding vent or like fucking gauge or some shit. That, that part's a little weak. <laughs> uh, that part? Just that part. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> it was well, basically like the, the Red Hood uh, yeah. origin story uh, from the comics anyways. And Billy D. Williams plays Harvey Dent, the district attorney, but he never actually becomes Two-Face in this movie, uh, unfortunately. But him and the mayor are like planning this bicentennial celebration for uh, Gotham City that's supposed to revitalize the city and everything. But the Joker poisons something. I don't cosmetics. Do we ever act? Well, Cos- cosmetics. Cos- cosmetics. Cosmetics. Yeah. Okay. Ends up being cosmetics, which starts like giving people, like giving, making people die with like the Joker rictus grin and puts the fear of God into the entire city and everybody's terrified. And he like latches onto that and tries to use it to like turn the city against Batman. Who everybody thinks is mythical. So this is all kind of confusing to me altogether, <laughs> right? So, okay, cool. Yeah, and then in the uh, like, there's yeah, there's a parade. There's Party Man happens. Part, yeah, Party Man in the museum, and then and then a parade with with Prince music for some reason, and uh, a lot of Prince music. Like this, like one <laughs> thing I will fuck. give this, I will give this universe is they fucking love Prince, and it's <laughs> pretty awesome. Like, <laughs> so the thing that Tim missed entirely because it's so tangential and it disconnected from the main plot is that Joker sees a picture of Vicky Vale that his minion Bob took of her while he was scanning the crowds for some reason. I don't remember why he was doing it, but he for some reason latches on to the idea of Vicky Vale and decides to pursue her romantically and oh, yeah. then, and then asks they, then they have her, a whole King Kong and uh, King Kong thing yeah. going on. <laughs> it's the most awkward love rectangle in the history of film, really. <laughs> yeah, is because really she's obsessed with Batman and it's true. She also fucks Bruce Wayne. Fucks and, Bruce Wayne and then like regrets it afterwards, which like who wouldn't really because he's He's interesting in this movie. And then, like, <laughs> the Joker starts chasing after her. If I were her, I'd be like, I'm getting the fuck out of town. This is terrifying. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The pro- like, what, what I like about, like, Tim actually told you what the story of the background of the movie is. But the real thrust of the movie to me is the bizarre, like, the main character of this movie is Kim Basinger's Vicky Vale. And she's stuck choosing between a bipolar and depressed Batman or a violently schizophrenic Joker. And, like, 
that's what this movie is about for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like, and then and then there's the whole the whole fucking arc of Batman discovering that Jack Napier was the man that killed his parents and that's another whole fucking can of worms and so he's got a thing. You know, there's the whole idea of like ch- there's a whole chicken and the egg thing like does Batman make the villains or do the villains make the bad and in the end in this case it was Jack Napier. Both. Yeah, it was, yeah, exactly. It was a total fucking cop out. And then there's a whole whole bats in the belfry final confrontation where Batman literally kills the Joker. And along with about four other guys, like he <laughs> murders everybody at the top of that belfry. Yeah. Like there's one dude he pitches from the top of that belfry to the bottom. And the only thing that's down there is the bell that he's going to land on. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's then everybody's suck. like. Okay, we're cool with Batman now. Yeah, after yeah, he yeah. murdered six Roll people. <laughs> well, it, does, it doesn't matter that he murdered those guys, guys, because obviously... Well, there were minorities and criminals, and it was 1989. And so. it, it was played 100% for comedy, because those fucking sound effects that were happening in that <laughs> scene were not, like, drama, serious fight scene sound effects. That was Biff Pow. It was like they literally tried to bring, like, a 60s comic book to life kind of thing. I was going to ask, like, my next question is we're kind of having this part of the conversation is, like, how far removed do you feel, like, watching this now that this is from the 1966 version of the character? Because it's not. It's definitely it's definitely a stepping stone between, like, this and Bailbat. And yeah. like Dark the Dark Knight, because you can see th- like strands of DNA of both for sure. You can see some of like the corny '66 like gadgetry and shit like that, and like Dutch the tilts and yeah, like the, the, the Dutch tilts and, and like the, the the really colorful gimmicks of the villains and shit like that. But there's also got like a lot of that Dark Knight Returns and like uh, Year One kind of like mid 80s grim and gritty batman type mm-hmm. stuff to it as well it's almost like 66 in like tough guy drag is kind of how this movie works for me yeah in a lot of it, ways it gave me a lot of 1930s and 40s kind of gangster dick tracy vibes while i was watching yeah. it which which is a movie that came out around the same time came out after came yeah out it after. came out in the yeah. like 91 or something Yes, something like that. Yeah. The aftermath of this movie was this weird thing where instead of making comic book movies, they went back to Pulp Heroes and just started making like The Shadow and the Rocketeer. Darkman. Rocketeer yeah. was around that era. Yeah. So it was, instead of going to like this, the comic books and being like, well, people like comic book stuff, eh? It was more like, hey, people like what's what's cheap that we can buy and make something similar to Batman yeah. with? Oh, The Shadow? Oh, okay. Like that's – and we had The Phantom in there too, I think, was yeah. that Billy Zane movie Billy Zane. in the early 90s kind yeah. of thing. All kind of fed off this as like an event movie. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. But uh, when it comes to the kind of irreverence um, and self awareness of the 1966 version, I think that this one kind of lacks that because of the pretense of the artfulness of it. Yeah. I yeah. think that this one is a little bit more, it's trying to be a real movie, but I think that it never really wants to fully commit to that and because we were talking about that fight scene at the end where it's it's so goofy like i just like all the fight scenes are either like non-action sequences or goofy right like there's the like anytime batman shows up he barely does anything because he can't move in that fucking suit which is hilarious (laughs) like remember we were watching the first thing and like the opening sequence is the perfect epitome of this movie to me because you watch it and you're thinking it's the Wayne murder that's going to happen in front of you again, right? Like we're going to watch 
Martha and yeah. Thomas die for the first time cinematically here. But we don't. We do that later. We follow some goofball who's brought his wife and son into Gotham. To like the most dangerous city in the yeah. country. <laughs> yeah, to Gotham City, which is basically hell on earth. But okay, fine. <laughs> That's where we're going to go for fucking vacation. Like, hey, we got cheap tickets. Just go to Florida like normal people. You know what I mean? It's cheap to get to Florida. Like, just don't go to Gotham City. That's a bad idea. Either way. So they get mugged. The kid gets a gun pointed at him. The dad gets knocked out. And the mom's freaking out. Right. Batman does nothing while this is happening. Doesn't stop the mugging. He goes and finds the guys after the fact and accosts them then. So like doesn't return the money. Like this guy's still like unconscious in the street. But Batman's gonna go deal with these guys elsewhere. So <laughs> first of all, like this is like lets the himself get people. shot twice. <laughs> yeah. Just like what the fuck? Like what the fuck? <laughs> This is also the Batman that, like, you know, we start seeing a Batman on screen that will, like, beat the shit out of a guy and, like, cripple him for life kind of thing just to strike fear into the hearts of criminals. Whereas Batman's like, I'll give you a light punch and you'll fall down in, like, 1966. True, true. <laughs> but, like, at least in 1966, he would have stopped the people from getting mugged in the first place. You know what I mean? Like, he wouldn't have let that happen. <laughs> Whereas this Batman's like, I don't want to stop the crime that reminds me terribly of my own past trauma because like the batman we know would never allow this to happen right like a family about to get mugged in an alley would that not be like the first thing he'd just be like no fuck that we got to stop that from happening yeah Yeah. one of the guys would get would disappear vertically because he would just get picked up and then the other guy the the family would be like what the fuck and then he'd be like hey buddy where'd you go the the other guy holding the gun would be like hey what's going on and then he'd turn around and shit himself yeah and then he'd get punched in the face like like, have no teeth yeah Yeah. you (laughs) that scene would have been so easy to do and instead we get this kind of callous aloof batman who's like oh i just want to like play with my food for a little bit and (laughs) yeah i'm just really into beating up homeless people this batman (laughs) we've got this game of cat and mouse going on where i let them shoot me you know (laughs) he lets himself get shot like three times in this movie i've never seen a batman who actively is like hey guys i'm just gonna stand here while you open fire at me as opposed to (laughs) i don't know move the fuck out of the way like the ninja i'm supposed to be but anyway he's beta testing the bat suit man he's just making sure that he's doing all the stress tests that he needs to do to make sure that he can uh you know get shot multiple times yeah this is definitely the most times that batman has ever gotten shot in a movie because like he gets shot like what five or six times in the bat suit and like once just as fucking bruce wayne holding a serving tray in front of his chest so also like a baffling scene that is clearly just like michael keaton (laughs) wanting to have an unmasked scene with jack nicholson like he's the only reason that scene but it's also like it's also just fucking like so legendary now right like the whole you want to get nuts nuts. and then and then we go right from that into you ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight yeah yep I mean, it's all classic it's just, stuff. Just something I heard with that I say that I think is pretty cool. Makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> so, um, before we go like too far down, like the I'm going to bitch about this rabbit hole. So, like, what do you? What still holds up for you guys in this movie? A lot of the art direction still holds up for me. I think that it got um, an Oscar for art direction. So, right. yeah. yeah, I think that the the costuming is fucking great. Besides, you know, Michael Keaton not being able to turn his head, like the, the <laughs> I, they sacrificed utility for visuals in a lot of that, and I get it. Like, and a lot of the gadgetry from this movie, the the bat gadgets are super iconic for a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like this Batmobile. I know it's kind of 
silly yeah, looking, but sweet, I kind of adore it. Batmobile design, yeah. Yeah, and I love the Joker's costuming and coloring in this movie, and it does give me vibes of the animated series with that 30s style. Well, I mean, like they they they're very they had a very symbiotic relationship between like well, I mean, not really symbiotic, but like they I mean, they pulled the theme and stuff like that and like the reason why that show exists is because these movies did so well and there was such a call for like give us more Batman all the time and I mean, it could be worse. The guys who wrote this thing could be could have written that as opposed to the fucking geniuses who wrote that animated series as we're going to talk about in like I guess a couple episodes because we'll do Mask yeah. of the Phantasm between this mm. and the Schumacher debacles, right? <laughs> but but speaking of the score, the music. No, I, I want to talk about art direction. While we're, t- I don't want to get away from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I agree. Like I love that Batmobile stylistically. This movie works for me overall. Yeah, it's it's a solid bat suit, both figuratively and literally. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the one. This is the one where I don't. I like. I think the bat suit looks good from a distance, but as soon as you get up close yeah, on it, it looks yeah. pretty wonky. I think. The, this bat suit design is like perfect in returns. Yeah, it strikes it strikes an imposing silhouette for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, but like can't, can't you can really look his head in it yeah. at all. But, uh, but he, he also can't lift his arms up at all. You know what I mean? Like you ever see? Like he can't really get his arms above shoulder level because that cape is forty fucking pounds on. And Michael Keaton's a little man. Like he's not. He a is. Big yeah, guy. he's not a big dude. So like um, he's yeah. the least intimidating Batman. Also, which is kind yeah. of. You know, and and I, I love this Gotham design as well. Like, I think this is probably the closest version of Gotham we've seen on the screen, uh, at least on li- a live action screen mm-hmm. to the comic book. And it also has a kind of a cyclical relationship as well, where like this Gotham then in turn went back and influenced a lot of the future comic book versions of Gotham yeah. City as well, for sure. This is very much the Gotham that you play in in the Arkham games, too. Like, it feels oh, more yeah. like this Tim like Burton. That dark, gothic y like, spires. Dark. And, yeah. yeah. And a lot of the steam rising up from everywhere. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, li- I like that kind of effect. It gives you um, a little bit of um, a London industrial vibe, as well as. You well, know, that- you, you want that, like, turn of the century kind of like, yeah, almost like gothic vibe to the city. In, in, like for Batman to exist, like it does, Batman doesn't work in Metropolis, right? Like if yeah. you put Batman in real New York, it's too shiny for a character yeah, like that. It, it's yeah. like Escher-like and how like contorted and twisted yeah. and, and and claustrophobic and and tight and cramped that it is. Yeah, and that's just not the sets that they built for this movie. That's like what they want you to feel. Also, yeah. just. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's obviously like the the downtown is obviously like a, a square they built. Yeah, and they just keep shooting it on different angles. Yeah, because you see the Monarch Theater in the corner of every fucking shot when they're downtown. Oh, yeah. This, this so. whole thing was done in a fucking soundstage. There was oh, not yeah. a single location shot in this movie. No, no, no. no, no. Yeah. no this is all Pinewood. Like, it's all shot uh, in London, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So. Like, uh, the last Gotham that we got to see on screen was the Birds of Prey Gotham, which is much more colorful and a little bit cartoony in a very different way. Yeah. I prefer... If I had to choose, I would definitely prefer the Batman 89 Gotham, even though I think Birds of Prey's Gotham works for that film. Definitely, mm. it fits the tone. I just love the gothic turn-of-the-century style of this movie. Well, yeah. it's also very much like Gotham is a city that changes depending on whose eyes you're viewing it through. And here we're viewing it through Bruce Batman's eyes, and there we're viewing it through Harley's eyes, which is a little bit more skewed, and she sees a different side of it, and she's mm-hmm. out in the daylight 
anymore and that yeah. kind of thing. And there's also yeah, there's the daylight factor, and there's also the fact that she would see a hellscape like Gotham as like a fun fucking place to exist. Whereas yeah. Bruce is not happy that Gotham looks like that. You know what I mean? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I actually, I completely agree. Like the art direction on this movie is kind of the one thing that holds it together a lot of the time for me. Like it's just so well assembled. I'm going to say because not particular. It's not always well shot. In some spots, it's kind of dodgily shot. But like for the most part, everything about the look and feel of the movie is kind of what brings me back to it. Because yes, the bat suit, not great, but like iconic. And then his gadgets are, yeah, like that, the industrial design of this movie are really what kind of gets to me. Like it actually mm. works. And that's kind of like how I picture Batman operating. The grappling and, gun and all that. Yeah. And, like yeah. all the grappling gear, like all his gear is very much like, like that's kind of how I, and that's probably because this movie was so like, as I was getting into this stuff, this was what Batman was like. That's why it's stuck in my head. But yeah, that grappling gun and like the car and the bat wing, like that's how I still the think the cave. plane should look. And like, yes, the cave actually, I was noticing it. We watched the 4k rip of this for the first time, Paul and I, when we watched this and mm-hmm. there's a lot of detail you can see in the back cave that I'd never really noticed before. Cause everything like is very the dark. bottles on the fucking counter at one point. <laughs> Yeah, but he was he was doing cosmetic research to figure out what <laughs> yeah. the Joker poisoned because like it's just weird to have that. The only that. thing I can really give the writing of this movie is that he actually does detective work. It's boring as fuck, and he goes shopping with Alfred instead of like infiltrating <laughs> something to do the spy work. But like, at least he does some detective work. A little bit of science. This is what I'm talking about, though. Like, it, it, he, it's like Tim Burton just doesn't give a shit about Batman because he's like, hey, let's go shopping. We'll investigate it that way. As opposed to like, to me as a writer, like that would be the point where you'd be like, hey, we get to do, have Batman do some like stealthy sneak around shit. This is cool. No, 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 no. Let's do off camera. Bruce and Alfred go shop so that we can really focus on what I'm really interested in focusing on, which is really the Joker, because that's all he cares about in this movie. It's the Joker. Yeah. Because it's all—it's almost like two different movies. You have a mob movie at the beginning of it, and then you have like Jack Napier, or sorry, Jack Nicholson goes batshit insane for the second half of the movie. So, <laughs> yeah. All right. So, anything else you guys want to talk about? We talked about art direction, the score. I, yes, score. I interrupted agreed. Paul while he was yeah while yeah, he was jerking yeah. off the Elfman score. Which oh, I yeah, the score it. is the score is so iconic. Like yeah. holy shit. I mean, like, I know that Elfman has gotten his due props in his career, obviously. But I mean, he created the Simpsons theme, which is just like, you right. know. Exactly. Yeah. He, but there's a reason why. And this movie is probably one of them. Because, God, the score is so good. It's just mm-hmm. so good. This score is, like, right up there with the John Williams Superman score for me. You know what I mean? Where it's just like, yeah. that. These those two scores managed to encapsulate those characters so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they will always be associated with those two characters, for sure. Yeah, and not even, like, the particular version of those characters that are in that movie, either. Like, I hear that score, I think of just the big red S. Like, I don't, or, like, Batman in general. Like, I don't just think of, like, oh, Michael Keaton or Christopher Reeve. I think, like, just the franchise as a whole, almost. Like, those scores are so... Yeah kind of overarching to everything yeah to the point where they use them in like the dccw series and the dceu movies to like evoke that response to get you back in it hit that fucking nostalgia button as well well that was like the biggest and this is going more to the superman side but like when superman returns came out i'm sure that i convinced myself i enjoyed that movie for the first half an hour just because they did the score and like the credits stuff at the beginning was also reminiscent of that first movie and had the score that i was like oh this is actually pretty good and then it's like wait no, it's not. It's just yeah. really not. <laughs> well, in this in this Batman movie, like it it leads off with that epic fucking score right off the bat, and like that draws you straight in to the 
you know, overall tone and everything. And, and the credit sequence is pretty solid as well. But yeah, that fucking Elfman score, the swell of it as it comes in, just fucking hooks me right away. And I remember yeah. playing a probably pretty terrible version of that in concert band in high school as well. Nice. I think it was like one of those ones that like every concert band uh, would do because it was relatively easy. Oh, is that, I don't, I've never, I've never been in a concert band, so I don't yeah. know. Cool. What else do we like about this movie? Like, we got to talk about performances for sure. Cause like, I, <laughs> that's what this movie kind of hinges on. I think in a lot of ways in terms of its rewatchability is basically yeah. just Jack Nicholson, just seeing every set he is on and eating them all. Yes. <laughs> like Batman. Yeah. Basically like, <laughs> like he unhinges his jaw in some spots <laughs> and is fucking consuming the walls. He's chewing the scenery so hard. Nicholson's still one of my favorite versions of the Joker. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not crazy about like the whole mid-level gangster origin idea, but like once he gets that, that suit on, like once he gets that face on, like I'm fucking sold on it. Like that mani- he does a great job of that maniacal laugh. He's got like the unpredictability. He's chaotic. He's fucking murderous, but, but with a like dramatic flair and a bit of panache kind of thing. And yeah, it's like that perfect mix of the Joker for me. Hmm. Yeah. I see. I like it. It's almost too much Jack Nicholson. Like I wish he'd done something a little different. Cause it just feels like Jack going over the top, which we've seen a lot of in cinema at this point. You know what I mean? But yeah. I mean, I can't like I can't shit on this because it informed the Joker as a character going forward so much that like oh yeah there's there's hints of this in Hamill Hamill obviously there's hints of this in Hamill yeah absolutely but there's hints of this even in Ledger there's hint, mm-hmm. obviously lots of hints of this in Leto because that's all he did was homage the other three four guys who were really known to play the Joker so yeah, yeah I think that Jack Nicholson brings a level of energetic mania to the role that i really appreciate like Uh he adds that giggle which became rather iconic i like when i think about the cesar romero joker i he laughed a lot but he it was still kind of like wahaha supervillain laughter whereas Uh this when jack nicholson was doing it felt like a compulsive tick where it seemed like it was something that he couldn't quite control. He was just lost in his own mania. But not like to the point where he had a little card he was handing out to people on the bus, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, then, sorry. If you want to compare that, I... like this uh. is this is such a better version of you know Joker sort of getting into people's heads and like appealing to the darker impulses of the population and yeah. than the way that fucking Joker did in the Joker movie. Yeah, if, if they'd actually spent the time developing that plot, this would be the best like Joker story. Like it would feel a lot like one of those classic Joker stories, like the the fish story or like any of those classic animated episodes that are basically just lifted from the old Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams era Batman comics. This that's what this story is, is basically the Joker doing something way too grandiose, but trying to turn the people and convince them that it was Batman who did it. And like it's just a classic kind of Joker riff, but I feel like the movie's so focused on like the zany Jack Nicholson plus the weird love triangle that they've got going on. Like the plot, the actual comic book plot of this is kind of thrown to the background while we wallow in Jack Nicholson going crazy and being in love with Kim Basinger, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And the the damage that Joker tends to do is so cartoonish and kind of stupid. Like the defacing of the museum and the 
the gas balloons in the parade at the end of the movie. Like, dumb and I don't like it and it's stupid and stop it. But I, Jack Nicholson sold me on oh, yeah. both of those scenes 100%. If it were any other actor doing that, I'd be like, this is not working. I can't imagine Heath Ledger pulling those two scenes off. For instance, I I think he could have done it. They would have done them very differently, though. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Right. <laughs> sure. A lot but, more people would have died. <laughs> I think it would be a lot scarier when you actually step. Like that's the problem with the Heath Ledger Joker is when you step away from everything he's doing, you're like, oh wait, he's really sick. Like that guy's terrifying as a human being. Whereas when you step away from this one, you're just like, oh yeah, Jack Nicholson's fucking awesome. How much yeah. fun did you have that's watching that? Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. Whereas <laughs> you watch the the Heath one, you're like, this is a really good performance. But you step back from, it, you're like, oh fuck, that guy's. I would shit you know, my pants if I saw this guy. Yeah, if that guy walked up to me, I would fucking mess myself. You know what I mean? It's like just yeah. really badly. Whereas this guy, I'm like, oh man, can I go have a beer with Jack Nicholson Joker? He seems like, as long as you go along with his bullshit, he's gonna be a lot of fun. <laughs> like, yeah. So. No, I mean, all of that Joker chaos was like very, very on brand. It was like just a little bit removed from the '66 Batman stuff, like the the Joker causing people to be scared of all like all consumer products and and. Uh, cosmetics and shit like that it's it's pretty clever it, it and it's totally a joker thing to do yeah, too you know exactly. what i mean like you know fucking you know just fucking with people's everyday life like undermining it in such like a relatively minor way but like in a potentially lethal causing lethal a horrible well. fucking panic also yeah in the, in the midst of all of it having the the news anchors like on screen without any of their makeup and hair done and everything and that was that's one art direction thing i wanted to ask about does is there a lot of people in gotham city that seem to have syphilis to you guys (laughs) or just horrible cystic acne yeah or something like really (laughs) nasty going on like a lot of people looked really sick like they had i don't know a plague of some kind going on in gotham at the time (laughs) well they they don't they don't get enough sunlight Right. Yeah, so, it was definitely uh, that. Yeah, they're, they're all very pale and pallid. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Other performances, though, that I really, I really liked Kim Basinger, and I know that, you know, I think that she did a good job with Michael Keaton of humanizing Bruce Wayne, and I liked her as a character, as an intrepid reporter. My problem with her character was not her performance so much as the way she was written as damsel in distress like sort of active participant in the plot, but then just literally gets dragged along uh, into the finale of the film, which I was just like, okay. But I really enjoyed her and Michael Keaton together. That um, past the salt moment in the dining room. Which like Paul almost made me rewind. He likes so much. I like it very much. I've made that reference multiple times already since we've been in quarantine but yeah um, yeah oh yeah (laughs) yeah yeah but i think those two did a fine job the problem is i don't buy uh michael keaton as batman batman yeah he's an okay Mm. bruce wayne but he's just not handsome and i don't sorry (laughs) michael keaton stands he's just not hot enough to be bruce wayne to me yeah I have the opposite problem. Like, I think that he's, I think he's actually a solid Batman. Like, he strikes an imposing figure and he's got the menacing, like, qualities down. Like, I like this character. I guess what you, I, if you put him, you put him up on an apple cart, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Not, not, not in terms of height, but in terms of presence. <laughs> right? I agree. No, I don't, I don't disagree. Like, the suit's super intimidating and stuff. Like, if you put that suit on, like, a real action star, that'd be a terrifying looking Batman. Cause it'd be like eight feet tall with the horns, like with the ears <laughs> yeah. and stuff. Yeah. I just don't think, I think Michael Keaton 
is an interesting choice for this. Like, I think he does a good, good job as a detached Bruce Wayne. I, I, I think he's but, a fucking pretty awful Bruce Wayne. Like, I don't, I, I don't buy him as a billionaire whatsoever. Like, if, if he was a fucking billionaire, he would, I mean, he looks more like a bad comedian than he does like a fucking, like hey, billionaire. If he Michael was a King billionaire, he'd be paying somebody. First of he'd, all. <laughs> he'd be paying somebody to do something about that fucking hair for starters. Well, <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny because oh the God. one thing I commented on constantly throughout the movie while we were watching it was like, "What the fuck is going on with his like Jerry curl?" I guess he's like, trying I don't to know. be taller, right? He's trying to strike a oh, more imposing figure as Bruce Wayne, and so he's like, "Tease it up, tease it up yeah. as high as it'll go." Come oh, on, more! My God. I'm Batman, and all, and all it did was like <laughs> give us that fucking receding hairline. <laughs> uh, he's got the worst five head in this movie. It's Ooh, fucking it does. brutal. I mean, again, I have nothing against Michael Keaton. Personally. I love Michael Keaton. You I know? love him. <laughs> Beetlejuice, for God's sake, is one yeah. of my favorite movies oh, yeah. of all time. He was but so good as the Vulture in those Spider-Man movies. He scared yeah, the sure. shit out of me sure. when he turned around and started freaking out of Peter Parker. He's excellent in these movies. Yeah. Have you see Birdman? Fantastic. Not a great Batman, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not my favorite Batman, but a serviceable, ba- serviceable yeah, Batman. Like he's in, he's in totally fine. And like, I'll take him over... Kilmer and Clooney, probably. <laughs> I mean, fortunately, though, like visually speaking, like Val Kilmer and George Clooney are both like classically handsome men, yeah. And so they strike the figure of Bruce Wayne much better. Like if I looked at, I, I, I buy Kilmer as Bruce lineup, Wayne, yeah. over over Keaton, Keaton any day. Yeah, I still wish they'd done like he'd been in a Batman movie, and we'll talk about it when we do Batman Forever because it's coming. <laughs> Sadly, but like. I would love to have seen Kilmer do a serious Batman movie because I think he would have been, especially in that era. I wish they'd yeah. not gone Charles Schumacher to do Batman Forever and got somebody serious to do it because I think he would have been a pretty good Batman overall. Mm-hmm. But instead, he was in a toy commercial. But we'll talk about the toy commercial in a couple of weeks. Right now, we're talking about <laughs> the original toy commercial, the nineteen eighty nine Batman movie because I watched all the so action figures. Yeah. I had like all the action figures. I still have <laughs> most of them here too. Like I've got the Batmobile in this house somewhere. I have the Batwing. And so in terms of performances, too, I think Keaton is at his best when he's playing off of Nicholson. Well, that's, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's, yeah, duh. <laughs> <laughs> like the two of them, I I, lo- I love how those two play off each other. Like, and I like that this movie really dives into that psychology of Batman versus the Joker. And again, it's the first time we've really seen that on screen. Like Bruce struggling with his identity. Like, am I Bruce? Am I the bat? Whatever. And then joker like being able to pick up on that and trying to get into his head whether he knows that he's doing it or not kind of thing like because they don't really spend that much time on screen together until that like big final confrontation Mm -hmm. because the plot and characters are hanging together by the loosest of threads (laughs) it's true this is true (laughs) like barely (laughs) barely dental floss guys like (laughs) this the whole movie hinges on their romantic entanglement with kim basinger like that's what this whole like their whole situation has nothing to do with gotham really like that's such a side thought to like what's going on here but Either way, I'm on board with like the performances overall. I like I want to shout out some of like the like Jack Palance just choose yeah. the scenery in the scenes that he's in. Pat Hingle is there as Commissioner Gordon. The guy who plays Porkins, whose name I can never remember, is pretty good as that is the <laughs> as Eckhart. Proto Harvey Bullock. Yeah, yeah, Eckhart. I'm trying to think who else is in this movie. Michael Koff. Oh, can we talk about Alfred? Because he's is- 
it's fucking no he's a decent like playing alfred but like the actual alfred like he's terrible at being alfred in this movie like he's clearly new to this game because <laughs> like bruce tells vicky that oh, he's yeah. going out of town doesn't and co- he totally fucking cock blocks him or whatever you want to call cover, that like, doesn't cover yeah. for his lie at all and doesn't yeah, cover yeah. for him at all and then like just walks her into the fucking back cave at the end of the movie like just what the fuck are you doing? You know what I mean? Like this is Alfred's first. That's what this movie should really be titled: is Batman Alfred's first week. Yeah, basically. <laughs> it's almost like Bruce Wayne's never like this version of Bruce Wayne's never seduced a woman and lied to her and kicked her to the fucking curb before, which we know Bruce Wayne has done a hundred times basis. by this point. Yeah, like on a yeah. weekly basis. But this Bruce Wayne might have been like a virgin because like God only knows. What the, <laughs> I believe with, it. With that hair. <laughs> with that with hair. That hair. <laughs> and his affinity for turtlenecks. Jesus, yeah. like when your hair style inspiration is El DeBarge, like oh, Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Feeling the rhythm of the night, guys. I don't oh, know. Man. There's a movie we should watch and review fucking The Last Dragon. Last Dragon. Oh, so oh, good. God. What a uh, mess. What uh, a mess that movie is. Yeah. Show enough. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, so like that's kind of everything for performances. I don't think there's anything else to pull apart in there. What else is there to talk about? Art direction, score. We talked about the performances. We talked about the directing or lack thereof or Tim Burton's fascination well, with not Batman. Oh, he directed it's, the shit out of this movie. It doesn't mean he did a good job of it. <laughs> he it's, art directed the shit out of this movie. I don't know about directed the shit out of this movie. There's a big like, difference. It's there, not. You know? It's definitely a Burton movie, but it's not like fucking like Nightmare Before Christmas, Beetlejuice, like Dumbo. Like, yeah, like you know, hardcore fuck it, like Willy Wonka, hardcore fucking Burt movie. Like he definitely pulled back a little bit on this and showed some restraint. It does. And then it doesn't, right? Like there's parts where it's clearly like his little stop yeah. motion sets. And then there's like the, the when balloons we get to at Batman the end. returns, we'll be like, oh, yeah, this is a fucking Burton movie. movie. That's a Burton movie. <laughs> yeah. oh, oh, oh boy. Is that a Burton movie? <laughs> yeah. That one. you can tell. The most, the most Burton-y moment I think was definitely the, the balloon parade yeah. thing. That was that like, in particular. Yeah. yeah. Those were like, when I looked at those, I was like, that's Burton's aesthetic to a T. Everything mm. in the conclusion of this movie is very Burton, like going from the balloons through to the big gothic spire that makes no fucking yeah, geographical sense, tower. like the bell yeah. tower that's super decaying and like looks like it's about to cave in on itself, but yeah. like they've left standing for no reason. Yeah. And then throwing in that super comedic tone in the fighting scene while he's got this super massive gothic thing happening. Very... Yeah, doing the zany shit while like yeah, exactly. It's oh, making while someone's life is in the balance and yeah, yeah. letting yeah. Joker shoot down the Batwing with a collapsible pistol. Yes, that was <laughs> what the fuck. <laughs> Just full on what the fuck. Yeah, yeah. The end of this movie was like a. It's a, just a, a fucking conga line of what the fuck. Yeah. <laughs> just. Like right at the beginning, Vicky Vale runs over the reporter whose name Knox? Is it no, Knox? It's not yeah. the one the one that I didn't even draw into my print. You know what I mean? Like I did a print of this movie and I didn't even draw him in there. I forgot about him completely. You didn't need to. I watched the movie three times to do that fucking print. Guess how many times I was like, I should draw Alexander Knox. Never, Zero. never. I'd never said that. None, I was never like, I'm gonna put times. him in there. Well, you, you know remembered what? his first name. Good for you. I didn't. He's looking at it on on Wikipedia right now. It is on Wikipedia right now. Yeah, <laughs> Robert Wall. I was just gonna call him Arliss the whole time. You know what I mean? Because uh. he just he played Arliss and like, oh, that show was that's another that's an experience. Also, 
I'll never forget the half, like, I'll never forget the day it took me to get through that half hour pilot because. That fucking show is terrible. Yeah, it's really what bad. What show? Artless. It's an old HBO oh, comic. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll yeah. say comedy, quote unquote. You know what I mean? Like, I vaguely it remember it. Seven years. Yeah, oh, yeah, last forever. Cool. <laughs> they didn't start doing good comedy on HBO until, like, post 2000, and that's a pre 2000 HBO show. Let's just put it that way. I think maybe the Larry Sanders show probably holds up a little bit better, but, like, even that's super dated now, so. Hmm. Oh, yeah. I started watching that, like, many years after the fact, and I couldn't get through it. Yeah. I watched it, like, kind of contemporarily. So, like, I got got it, and, like, having done a rewatch of it, I still enjoy it, but it's very much like, wow, man, I miss the early 90s, you know, shoulder pads and pastels. Ugly. (laughs) Ugly. What's funny about that show is David Duchovny has a giant crush on Larry Sanders and hits on him every time he shows up on that show. This is, like, early X-Files days. Hmm. Like, Red Shoe Diaries, early X-Files days, and he just starts hitting on Larry Sanders for no reason. It's fucking hilarious. Anyway, Batman 89. What else do we have to talk about? What do you guys... Okay, you guys want to tear into it? Like, let's tear into it. I can hear... I hear... Yeah. yeah. Let's rip into We're it. We're ready. It's All right, Paul. Okay, so... Um, why does anything happen in this movie? It is all such silly nonsense that, again, hangs together with, like, not even done like candy floss like the way that the characters are connected to each other is so tenuous and happenstance and kind of pointless that you wonder why any of these things connect at all except for the joker and batman who are tied at the dna level even though like shouldn't be probably (laughs) yeah like the fact that joker didn't meet Vicky Vale directly or didn't have a scene with her to like start their relationship. It was like, I saw her in a picture just shows how little they planned the plot of this movie to me. And like, how hard would it be to have done like another press conference scene at the beginning where he's standing behind Jack Palance and sees her in the crowd taking pictures of it? You know what I mean? And like, that's where it starts. Like so much, so easy to write this properly. But, like, nobody gave a shit. So, like, let's just keep going, right? Yeah. So, because of these kind of tenuous character connections, whenever they started interacting together, like, in the Let's Get Nuts scene, I'm like, why is this happening? Who are these people? Why are they acting this way towards each other? I don't understand. This is pretty stupid. I mean... It's not quite to the point of, like, the next movie where, like, the first time Batman and the Penguin meet, the Penguin's like, you don't really think you'll win, do you? And, like, Batman's kind of like, what the fuck are you even talking about? Like, win win what? Yeah, who are you? Like, what's happening? Uh, (laughs) No, not that bad. But But it's close, yeah. Yeah, still pretty WTF when it comes to... Yeah, I think the ultimate thing is character motivation there seems to be zero in this movie for the most part like things happen and you kind of wonder why people are doing what they're doing like why is vicky vale getting out of her car when she knows that there's poison gas in the air to go like check on the batwing like what's she gonna do I don't know, pull him out of the flaming wreckage. I don't know. That's when she gets kidnapped. So I guess they needed her to do that so they could get her from point A to point B. But it was the character motivation was not there. Like the scene motivations are terrible in this movie. Like if I could rewrite anything in this movie, it'd be like, why does this character do this? Oh, it doesn't make sense. Let's toss it out and try something else. <laughs> they didn't bother do, doing that. They were just yeah. like, oh, we, we want her to do this. So she'll do this. Okay, let's roll with that. It's really funny, too, because you think this is like this feels like first draft problems. This movie went through like 700 script revisions before it actually got shot. 
like 7,000 people wrote this movie. Before and it feels that movie. way. Yeah, this is definitely one of those movies that feels like it was written by committee and would have been would have been absolute dog shit if Tim Burton had not taken control of it and been like, okay, I'm at least going to make this motherfucker look and sound pretty. Yeah, which like he does to a T, right? Like the movie that that's what this movie hinges on is like the it's so style over substance. Like there's nothing below the surface on this movie. It's just like it's the glitz and glamour of like how cool does all of this look? And then also how awesome is Jack Nicholson? Because that's really what this movie sells itself on. There's like bits and pieces of like commentary on the psychology of a dude that fucking dresses up in a bat suit and goes out and fights crime and shit like that. More yeah. than more so than we'd ever really seen on a screen version of Batman so far at this yeah. point, which I appreciate. Like consider, you know, we're watching this in a vacuum where we have not watched any of the Dark Knight movies yet, right? Yes. Ooh kind of thing yeah. like it it did it took some fucking risks in that respect it, you know risks that had already been taken in the comics but yeah. brought it to an audience that had never really thought like oh wait a minute yeah like this guy's kind of fucked that this is his response to you know his his childhood trauma yeah there are themes and they are tell me what they are because i actually wrote that in my thing because after i wrote like can you tell me the plot i'm like can somebody tell me one of the themes of this movie one of the themes of this movie is trauma and okay. how it's dealt with. Like, we go. definitely have Jack and Bruce handling their trauma in polar opposite ways. And the problem, though, is that we have the trauma sources coming from very different things where, you know, Bruce is a victim of circumstances beyond his control, whereas we have Jack who is paying the price, maybe karmically, for being a piece of shit criminal thug asshole and turning into the joker and so they deal with their traumas in either by helping people or by lashing out against society and so i see that theme is it well executed in this movie sometimes (laughs) and a lot of it again that a lot of that hinges on jack nicholson's performance for sure that comes out a lot in his portrayal rather than the bones of the movie itself i think and I think also like going off of that a little bit is, you know, the the idea of identity and the whole like are who are we? Are we the mask that we wear? Are are you know, are we at our core something entirely different? You know, all that sort of union kind of archetypal bullshit as well and I think there's some of that in there as well. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of the identity stuff also plays out in the two main female characters in this movie, because Kim Basinger, as a photojournalist, is all about taking photos, but she gets um, highly, purely objectified by the Joker. Like, he falls in love with her photo. And then we have, oh, is it Alicia? She's yeah, in the movie yeah. for like five minutes, but she gets <laughs> ends up being horrifically scarred and suicide. yeah commit suicide poor alicia i mean she's not a, she's not a great person but from what we saw i don't think she really deserved that per se so um well, she was a woman who philandered like she's an adulterer how yeah. dare she i know uh, it is yeah. this is a movie made in 1989 by tim burton also so yeah, yeah. <laughs> so When it comes to women's identity, it's very much all about their appearance. And so we don't get into Vicki Vale's psychology. We know that she's a a person and she has motivations, but not really. Like We know that she's a really good photojournalist, but we talk more about Bruce Wayne's past than hers. So, And we don't really talk about Bruce Wayne's past as much as we really could also. (laughs) 
Ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? I like to say that to all my prey. I really just like the sound of it. I I know yeah. all of that dialogue because of the Me. soundtrack, because of the soundtrack of the movie. Because you played, yes, you played Bat Dance. Bat so Dance much. is awesome. So Bat much Bat Dance, Bat Dance. Is fantastic. But yeah, so right. can we just I mean, talk? I mean, we go just, on a limb here and say just talk about I, Bat Dance. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that this is Prince's best work by far. No, no. <laughs> I, I didn't yeah. even like. I wasn't a big Prince fan growing up. Like it wasn't music my parents played a whole lot, so I wasn't very familiar with it. So it was definitely later in life that I realized that, like, oh wait, why does all this music sound the same? Oh, it's because it's all Prince. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Raspberry Beret. This stuff is not yeah. Yeah. absolutely. Not. <laughs> so, but it is very like this is 1989 Prince. Oh boy! It is. Oh yeah. I have to say, like, Party Man is weird, but feels like Prince to me. It's that's the song that plays during the parade. Trust that is just like, what is this song? Like, it's like this kind of jungle beat, but you can't dance to it. It's kind of like, what do you do? Like shimmy in your chair while you? I don't know what that's. It's so cartoonish and weird. I mean, wow, so geez. Is this movie. And what? But, wait, what movie is it in? Sorry, <laughs> right? <laughs> I know. I, as soon as I said it, I was like, oh, I guess it fits then. But yeah, um, it's, it's probably it's pretty accurate to like. That's what the thing I like about the Prince soundtrack is not great, but it totally it is exactly what this movie needs because it's weirdly. insane. Weirdly. Yeah, <laughs> it's because insane. The visuals of the movie like are so 30s inspired that mm-hmm. having Prince on the soundtrack just seems so just incongruent anachronistic but, yeah, yeah but it works for some reason i it's like that Party prince man- is a fucking crazy man you know what i mean like you you just can't argue with prince even when it's kind of mediocre prince it's still like yeah it's still prince you know mm-hmm. there's some there's still something going on there so yeah. i don't know the soundtrack of this movie is all over the fucking place because of that so i i own this thing on vinyl you know what i mean like i've got this album a couple well, there's times. two. There's two, right? There's like a score. Well, it's a score, yeah. yeah. There's Batman the album kind of thing, yeah. which is most, mostly fucking Prince songs. No, 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 yeah. no, 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 Tim. Not mostly. All. Entirely. All. Okay. Yeah, it's all oh, Prince. It's, oh, sorry. It's only five tracks, but it's yeah. It's nope. all of the. Nope. Nope. The, oh no! The, wait. The Batman soundtrack is like it's nine tracks. It's a full LP of yeah. Prince songs. Yeah. yeah. Stop Bat the press. Dance. Who is that? Vicky Vale. Vicky, yeah, oh, man. Jesus Christ, it's, it is. You should oh. listen to it all. It's insane. He wrote a whole album. Yeah, there's a whole album worth of Prince it's, Batman. It's insane. And Bat Dance made it to number one on the charts. Mm-hmm. And that that song's like eight minutes long. Like there's a like one of the best Prince solos ever is buried at like minute five of that fucking song. You know what I mean? Like that's the best part of that song is that he just shreds up like one of the best solos ever. And it's like in bat dance. Why is it there? <laughs> cause Prince, you know, that's yeah. it, just cause Prince man, like Prince, Prince does things. I want to know the story. Like there's gotta be a good story about like how they convince Prince to do this fucking thing. But that's probably an entirely separate podcast. I'm sure there is, and I really, I, I wish I could remember more. I remember hearing about it, but like, I don't think there was any particular big reason. Is he friends with somebody? Maybe him and Jack Nicholson were friends. That or him and Burton or something like that. Or um, Burton asked him apparently. Oh really? Uh, yeah. That just said yes. It. Yeah, he said he just said yeah. When no, that's way him. too boring. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> needs to be a better story than that. There's a, on the wiki that that's what it says. Well, that's, so. that's kind of disappointing. I would assume there'd be some like really intense, wacky story as to how Prince or some got crazy with this contractual obligation or some bullshit. Well, actually, at that point in 1989, he would have been like hardcore getting into like like would he have been going towards sign at that point? Like 
shedding his name yeah, in 1989. formerly known as. Yeah. Because like, that happened in the 90s, right? Like early 90s, like mid to early 90s. Well, so, like, in 89, I remember he was helping Madonna write Like a Prayer. Yeah. Which is one of her best albums. But like, yeah, because, yeah, yeah obviously, Prince. because Prince co wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So he was doing a lot of behind the scenes. He always did a lot of behind the scenes work, too, because he was like just musical genius. So prolific. Like, yeah. 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 Oh, so, apparently there was there was a contractual obligation because yeah, uh, Prince, that makes sense. Prince was uh, under Warner Music, mm-hmm. so he was basically in the same stable, and so they were trying to leverage, you know, his uh, his talent and his name uh, for the movie. That actually, I, I was uh, I was thinking there was something about because I remember that's around the time when he was having like real conflicts with Warner about his contract and how much control they have, and they weren't letting him release albums as quickly as he wanted to, and like. Oh boy. And like, yeah, they've kind of forced him to make this. And then they, like, there was a bunch of stuff that he kind of got forced to do that he was not super happy about. So. And apparently it was supposed to be a duet with him and Michael Jackson. Yes. Michael Jackson was supposed to be Batman and Prince was supposed to be the Joker on the album. Can you imagine Michael Jackson, Batman? I'm trying to. And it I, can't, I can't. I don't want to. I don't. I can't, I can't I don't. do it need that in my life at all it's one of those things that like if you think about it too long you'll end up especially in our current fragile mental states we will just end up going insane <sighs> all right let's uh before we get the fuck out of here because i need to end this episode now because you just ruined my night tim thank you uh <laughs> that's scary it's uh have... tonight oh jesus oh i got more gripes i got that's a terrifying gripes. terrifying mental image is like late life michael keaton or michael that, jackson that jacko hanging upside down in a ill-fitting bat suit and just like hey kid what are you doing you doing something wrong yeah <laughs> i'm gonna beat you up oh the whole bat the whole bruce wayne sleeping upside down in this i was like all right that's uh, a little much that's a little much that. that's tim burton though you know what i mean is, tim Burton's totally like, oh he's batman right so he totally probably sleeps upside down even though with his with his arms folded across his chest like a yeah. bat you know, Ugh. like a bat does. Oh, fuck Tim Burton. <laughs> I hate Tim Burton. You know, like I just don't, I don't care for his work. So <laughs> either way. Uh, well, yeah. So more grapes. What else do you got? What else do you got, Tim? I mean, let's be honest, guys. Some of the effects in this movie do not fucking hold up, especially nope. in HD. Like right uh, from the start, that top down shot of Gotham with like the hurriedly animated fucking Batman that turns around. Tim. Tim, we watched this in 4K. I know. Oh I God, cannot imagine how bad that shit looked. In oh, the miniatures that, that, are so uh, bad. <laughs> so, yeah, some of the miniatures really don't hold up uh, oh yeah, in HD as well. Yeah. This is one of those problems with like modern, you know, display formats and stuff. Getting ahead of where we were with like what could be projected and displayed and also how often you were seeing these movies and how clearly you were seeing them and freeze framing and stuff like that you were never meant to like sit there and pick the details of this kind of thing apart but now you're you get to in you know 2160p so like it's yeah, yeah there's a lot of detail you can all of a sudden be like hey those matte lines they're not real thin anymore you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah. that's a sharpie that's a sharpie gouge down the middle of that frame like shit like that <laughs> So, yeah, there's yeah. there's some patchiness in, like, yeah, it's old optical effects. You just kind of... The colors look really good. 
Yeah, we got a, yeah. we got a nice cleaned up 4K print. So like the new print looks pretty good. I was pretty happy yeah. with that. The but. thing is, you either need to if you're gonna like remaster something into 1080p into f- uh, 4K, 4K or whatever, you need to fucking remaster it. You need to go back and like special edition the shit out of it. Like not George Lucas special edition the yeah. shit out of it, but go back and like do what Lucas did on the original trilogy when he released the special editions, and that like he cleaned up a lot of the effects and shit like that. I don't um, disagree. Um, and even like the, I don't think that the 4K remaster was as bad as we're making it out to be in terms of the effect matte lines and stuff. There is some stuff that's just like, that's part of the movie. Like that's what was, what was on the print. So when you transfer it over, like, what do you remaster? Right. There's not really, unless they go back and like completely rebuild those scenes from composites, which then you're like, you're having to rebuild shit from like film sources, which is just, yeah, but I mean, you could use like, AI. you could use like AI to clean some of it up and stuff yeah. like that. And that can, you know, machine learning. There was, there's, there's definitely so stuff I saw in here that I knew I could fix with after effects and premiere now, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like that I could have gone and cleaned up right now with those things. I, why those weren't done. Don't know. Yeah. But Hey, given, given the current technology, this is like what, like, cause there's not that many of those shots. It's like maybe a two week project or something like that for somebody to go back and clean up like the most egregious ones, yeah. most egregious examples kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I don't love Jack Napier being the Wayne's killer. Call me a fucking like traditionalist, but I much prefer it being just Joe chill. This fucking random thug that was just hard up for money. I agree. Uh, I even this is one of those things where I'll be like, I prefer Joker's take on it. You know what I mean? Like the the new one, the Joaquin Phoenix one. I'd rather he be causing a riot that causes their murder than him mm. be the guy who did it. Like that. I hate this. This one I hate because yeah. just this is too tied into its own bow. You know what I mean? I don't. That's not the way this. Like, yeah, it makes the world too- feel too small. Too fucking Ouroborosy for me, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, f- and then it, the Batman-Joker conflict seems like the be-all, end-all of everything Batman. So, like, none of his other... I know that Joker is the ultimate Batman villain, but there are others who are a threat. Like, and a, a threat on a different scale than Joker, but when you make it that personal, then if Joker gets defeated, then it feels like char- character arc is done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It finishes his character arc. Whereas if it's just some random guy, and it's just like crime is random, and he, all he's doing is fighting against the tide, that makes sense that he's always going to be fight- living this crime fighting life. Whereas if it's just avenging his parents' murderer, then character arc finished in the first movie. Yeah, which you know seems kind of not Batman e to me. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. And then as well, like, there are certain things in this movie that are just not things that Batman would ever do. Like, kill 14 people. Like, yeah, like being responsible for the death of the Joker. Like, you know, rationalize it all you want and say, like, oh, Joker could have let go and he would have been fine. But, like, Batman fucking tethered him to the gargoyle that ended up dragging Joker to his death. So that's fucking on Batman. That is not okay. And then Batman uses a lot of fucking guns in this movie. A lot of deadly weaponry. Like, he's legit shooting live rounds at the Joker from the fucking Batwing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but he's also shooting live rounds from the Batmobile. Yeah. And that's not... not, That's also not a Batman thing. Like, Batman historically has, like, a massive aversion to, you know, to guns in general. Yeah, Yeah, especially to, you know, to live rounds. Like, he's known occasionally to use, like, non-lethal, like, projectiles, maybe, you know, like, sandbags or whatever kind of thing. The Batarang. Yeah, or the Batarang or that kind of thing, but not fucking guns because, 
you know, a gun killed his parents. So it fucking triggers him or whatever. So yeah, not, don't like that. And yeah. I'm going to go on record to say I'm not crazy about Kim Basinger as Vicky Vale. I, I'm not crazy about Kim Basinger or Vicky Vale as characters in general, or as Vicky Vale as a character or Kim Basinger as an actress in general. This is a uh, a point that I was going to bring up probably in the Nolan movies, um, I, but I guess it kind of applies to all of them, is the, the forced love interest yeah. in Batman movies, where it's so egregious in, like, in those movies especially, because I'm going to go on a rant about how that, that character from the very beginning should have been Harvey Dent, and I will fucking go to my grave saying that, like, there never should have been a Rachel Dawes character. It should have been Harvey Dent. It's his best friend the whole fucking time. But we can't have that, Mark, because it's too gay. It's too gay. <laughs> Clearly too gay. Like, the, the love interests in all of these movies are just a big no-homo for Bruce Wayne. Like, the, and that's <laughs> Absolutely. all it is. And, that's- like, which is fine, but, like, you know what? Wait till the second movie and introduce Selena Kyle. Yeah. Wait till the yeah. third movie and introduce Talia. You know what I mean? There are love interests that you can you do with Batman that don't have to be this like tacked on extra person who's just like a civilian who knows his secret identity. Cause then what the fuck do they do once he gets into like Batman mode and is fighting the Joker to death? They scream in the corner. You know what I mean? They're just dead weight at that point. Like they don't have a, they can't do Literally, anything. Literally though, at the end of this movie, <laughs> Kim Basinger just slumps into Jack Nicholson's arms for like a good five minutes while he's dancing with her. And then yeah. he, she's literally just dead weight. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's just like, then she distracts him for 10 seconds and yeah. by kissing his jacket a lot because purple turns it's her on. So, that was so uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable. I don't blame Kim Basinger for that garbage though. That was definitely bad no. writing. And you can even kind of see Jack Nicholson while they're doing it being like, I don't, I'm not really buying this scene at all. What the fuck are we doing? Yeah, like he's kind of got like a, yeah, all right, let's just get this shit over with kind of <laughs> look on his face when that scene happens too. So yeah, like when, when your big star Jack Nicholson can't, you know, hide that this is not quite exactly how he would do things. <laughs> mm-hmm. Problems, right? Problems. Yeah. yeah. So, is there anything else you guys want to bitch about when it comes to Batman '89? You guys have hit all my major points. You're doing all my work for me. Like, I don't have to say all the shit because this is what I've always felt about this movie. Like ever since I've become an adult and rewatched it, I've always been like, "Wow, this is a very inconsistent kind of messy." pastiche of a film it's one of those movies that if you can sit back and not take it too seriously yeah then you can enjoy it you know if you're not like looking at it like you know with a real fucking close eye and you're just like hey i'm just here for the fucking fun of it and the visuals then you can enjoy it but yeah don't look at it too fucking close yeah because it's yeah the seams are very apparent it does, if you do yeah, it it does not hold up upon close scrutiny <laughs> cool Visually and and yeah. well, writing some parts of it visually hold up, but like yeah, <laughs> yeah. not on close scrutiny. Yeah, there's, there's definitely that. All right, so let's uh, let's wrap this monster up. Let's get to final thoughts. So we'll start with Paul's. Paul's looking very pensive mm. on screen over here. So let's. Yeah. Do, you have, do you have big thoughts here? Uh, not particularly, because I don't think that this movie has particularly deep thoughts, no. and <laughs> that's not necessarily to its detriment. But if this is the Batman movie that you're watching after you've seen the Nolan movies, then you should really lower your expectations as to what this movie is. It is very much style over substance and is well executed in certain areas. And we've covered those, but I honestly was 
pretty like I was kind of tired when I was watching this, but didn't expect to like almost nod off during the party man scene. Um, I was kind of bored. The middle of this movie, there's like just a lot of like for a Batman movie, there's just a lot of like people talking about their feelings, and there's also which, a lot okay, of but. <laughs> It just yeah, it probably a lot didn't of... need to be over two hours. No, it's so long too. I was surprised. I couldn't. I forgot how long this movie was when we were sitting down to watch it. Like it's, it's, it could cut length. like a good fifteen minutes. Yeah. Oh I know, yeah. I, I know. I say that a lot. Like I feel like that's a bingo card fucking item for me at this point. But it is. It's definitely. We'll, get there. we'll talk about that in your appointment review when you get up. Here, <laughs> okay. So. Yeah. All right. But the problem is, though, that maybe we couldn't cut that all out because a lot of the stuff that they were doing in the middle of the movie was moving the characters across the chessboard to make sure that they were close together so that it would make sense that any of the interactions in the second half of the movie happened. So the problem with that argument is that like you say that, but like they never show any care for any of the movements throughout the rest of the movie so they may as well just randomly throw them into the conclusion and cut 15 minutes out of this fucking piece anyway sure why not right i mean they were obviously were not going for cohesion and like plot structure i'm just saying like they it seems like an attempt was made to put these people together so that some there was some kind of relationship between them but it ultimately didn't really pay off and that's what this movie is is the just like a lot of cool shit that happens that doesn't really pay off to a satisfying conclusion but it's kind of fun to go along for the ride so i'm gonna give it like a 6.5 7 cool tim this is like an 8 out of 10 movie for me. Like, it definitely has its issues, but it's so classic and there's so much going for it. And visually and orally, A-U-R-A-L-L-Y, it defines so much of Batman for so long after this that I'm willing to overlook a lot in terms of it. So, yeah, like, I, I think that fucking Nicholson kills it. Keaton does a serviceable job. Yeah, 8 out of 10. Cool. I am going to fall right between the two of you, I think. I think my nostalgia dictates that I can't give this lower than a five or a six, and my nostalgia boner for it doesn't want to, like, I can't give it a ten. So I'm going to say seven. Seven's the nice, like, happy medium between, like, how angry I am at some parts of this movie and how much my nostalgia goggles just completely shield me from all that shit. So (laughs) there's that. I, like, I love this movie because of the style and because it is the Batman that I grew up with, right? Like, this is just that movie that got me into all of this stuff. Like we, my parents took us to see this movie. I was eight years old. It blew my little brain and I am a Batman <laughs> fan and have been ever since. So like I bitch about this movie, but I own it 14 times over. I love the Prince soundtrack as not great as it is. Like I have it <laughs> a couple times over, you know what I mean? I play the bat dance every once in a while just cause I want to hear that guitar solo, you know? Also, I just like Prince, so there is that. But either way, this is one of those movies that like, I just can't get away from. Would I recommend it now if somebody's like, hey, I want to watch a Batman movie? No. There's three other movies I would recommend ahead of that. All of them either have Chris Nolan attached to them or are animated. <laughs> but <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah, so that's Batman 1989. Join us again in three weeks when we do Batman Returns and we get into a real fight because woo boy. That's the messy one. That's yeah. the one that I have a problem with. All right. Uh, Let's do geek cred. So, Paul, let's recommend something to people. So, a long time ago, I got into a Korean webcomic that was translated into English called Tower of God. And it is finally getting an animated adaptation on Crunchyroll, which is like an anime streaming service that's been around for a really long time. But Tower of God is a really cool show where this kid who lives in a 
kind of a cave and has never seen the sky before follows um, the girl who cares for him because she wants to t- uh, climb this tower of God so she can see the stars in the sky. But the tower of God is actually a battle arena that whoever reaches the top of the tower becomes God themselves. So it's an interesting concept and the characters are really kind of like batshit insane and really, really fun to watch. And uh, if you like, fighting anime in general. Obviously, this is not a recommendation for Tim and Mark, but uh, <laughs> if, if you guys are like fighting anime, then check out Tower of God because I, the first two episodes are out, so it's just begun. It's adaptation, but it's really good so far. The animation style is like interesting to watch. I think it's kind of a little bit budget, but also works for the style of the series, given that it came as like a, a neighbor webtoon from Korea. So... Check it out if you're interested. Cool. Tim? I finished Shit's Creek while everything up until end of season five, because season six isn't on Netflix yet. So I moved on to Glow, uh, Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling, and I'm about through the first season. And it is, again, sort of what I'm looking for in all of this. It's it's fun. It's light. It's by the same uh, creators uh, as uh, Orange is the New Black, which I very much enjoyed for the seven seasons that it ran, six, seven seasons that it ran. And Allison Brie is fucking great in it. She's just hamming the, hamming the shit out of it. So, uh, yeah, if... I think there's three seasons up on Netflix, and it's a Netflix original, so that's everything yeah. that's uh, up on there now. So, yeah, cool, great. 80s, uh, I always like, I like 80s wrestling stories. I'm a big fan of like listening to psychopaths like Jim Cornette and Bruce Pritchard tell these insane road stories about like 80s wrestling and stuff like that. So, Glow's yeah. a lot of fun for me. Yeah, and Mark Mark Marin does a great job of playing that fucking just like asshole, uh, promoter, asshole yeah. promoter, you yeah. know, director, producer kind of thing. I uh, as a wrestling fan, I had a lot of fun with Glow. Uh, not just because Allison Brie is in it, and she is my one true love. I think. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I do like Allison Brie quite a bit, but like both the leads in that show are excellent. There's actually pro wrestlers who are like AEW employees and WWE employees who show up. Uh, awesome Kong is one of them. Is in one of the seasons of that show. I like Low a lot, so yeah, I would. If you haven't watched it, go watch it. I, I that's one of the, that's a show I've kept up with just because it's got a lot of shit in it that I like. So yeah. For me, same shit as usual. Follow me on Instagram, mt underscore bullet, or go buy a print, uh, blackraingallery.com. Uh, what the fuck else can I recommend to you guys? I've just been, I've been back to work. Like, I've been drawing. I drew, like, Sailor Moon. I'm doing fan art request shit on Instagram. Like, if you follow me on Instagram and you pitch a request, you may see it. Paul got a cami done this week for no reason. I was wondering what what the impetus for that was. Kami's uh, the best. That's why. Yeah, yeah Did you also awesome. do like a, an Animal Crossing character? Was that somebody's an- that was Tony Crossing? Tony Chopper from One Piece? Yeah, oh, okay. I did. Uh, I did something from an anime because I got a request for that. I drew tomorrow's post is Fry's dog from Futurama because I basically got a bunch of requests from cute redheads that I went to university with and was like, I will fulfill those requests because. <laughs> Your cute redheads that I went to college with, basically. So sure. So I, yeah, I did that, and like, so yeah, tomorrow's Futurama. It'll be up by the time you guys hear this. There's always just art happening on that account now. Like that's that's basically what I've been doing this week. Paul will tell you, I'm like locked in my little office, sketching or listening to the podcast or both most mm-hmm. of the day. So mm-hmm. if I'm not editing this beast, also, so there's that. So yeah, you know, buy smart, follow me, get smart, do some stuff. Well, all right, everybody, thank you for listening. This has been episode 194 of Dance Robot Dance. Um, if you haven't already, please subscribe. You can do that from any podcatching app via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. If you have any thoughts about anything we talked about this week, 
probably mostly Batman related. Let's talk about Batman. Okay, we don't talk, need to talk about the real world. Nobody wants to talk about the real world anymore. Let's talk about Batman. It's cool. You can do so on Facebook at facebook.com slash dance robot dance podcast on Twitter at DRD underscore podcast, or you can email us at dance robot dance podcast at gmail.com. So I have been here with my brother, Paul in his team rocket hat. Hello and goodbye. And my buddy, Tim, who is in Atlanta in an orange shirt that I can't see clearly because the webcam is my firestorm shirt you want to get nuts there it is there it is i see firestorm now yeah your (laughs) resolution was terrible for a second there (laughs) cool Wait, what was I doing? I'm ending the episode. <laughs> have you said goodbye, Mark? We've no, lost, Mark. We have lost it, folks. I've completely lost track of the what's happening. Lost. Yeah, we will talk to you next week. Question mark. Save that time. Well, improved Jocker products with a new and new <laughs> secret ingredient, Smilex. Yeah, that's right, man. Same bat time, same bat channel. Tune in next week for. Tim something? I don't know what's going on. I'm ending the episode now because I'm having a nervous breakdown. (laughs) Bye!